You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Multiple victims are in hospital tonight and a suspect who is well known to police is in custody after an early morning stabbing spree in Vancouver. All of those involved are believed to reside at a notorious homeless encampment. The police are still investigating if two other stabbing victims found nearby were attacked by the same person. Kristen Robinson with our top story now and the growing calls for action as we near the civic election. The Cramp Park encampment, quiet Saturday. Its residents reluctant to talk about an overnight stabbing spree. Around 3 a.m., police say patrol officers were approached by people fleeing the park, including two victims. Around the same time, we got a 911 call from somebody within the encampment uh, reporting to us that there was a man in the encampment who was actively uh, stabbing people. Police found a third victim here and arrested a 42-year-old suspect who is well known to police. The victims, all men who live in the park, suffered serious stab wounds. Two have life-threatening injuries. The suspect also believed to reside here. Every indication tells us that uh, the, these attacks were not provoked and they were random in nature in that sense. The latest tent city at Crab Park appeared in the spring of 2021. In May, it became the scene of the city's fourth homicide of the year when a 45-year-old man was fatally stabbed. Last month, Dennis Prasad, the suspect accused of stabbing a food delivery worker in a Chinatown stranger attack, was arrested in Crab Park. We asked the five front-running Vancouver mayoral candidates what their parties would do about Crab Park if elected. Well, it's going to have to go. Crab Park, the, the Hastings Street, um, it's we have to find people housing. We cannot have this. There's an injunction right now that the Supreme Court uh, put into place that uh, says that essentially we can't remove people from the park unless they have homes uh, to go to. But we do need to get people out of these parks and into quality supportive housing. And we will start to work on that on day one if elected. Be it City Hall. In a statement, Kennedy Stewart said he would continue addressing encampments and connecting people with housing based on an MOU signed with the province and park board last year. Police say the most recent Crab Park stabbing suspect remains in custody facing attempted murder charges. We don't yet know what the motive was or if there was a motive. Investigators are working to determine if what happened here is linked to two other violent crimes near the downtown east side overnight. An altercation near East Hastings and Campbell that seriously injured an 18-year-old man and a stabbing near the Camby that left a 48-year-old man clinging to life. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And the countdown is on to the municipal election. One week tonight, voting stations will almost be closing, but thousands of voters have already cast their ballots in advanced polling. Our Travis Prasad hit the streets to find out what the key issues are for constituents casting their ballots, that is, assuming they'll vote. In Vancouver, some residents have already voted at advanced polling stations, while others are still doing their homework. At the moment, I'm just working through the long list to determine who I feel are the right candidates in all the different categories. The list really is long, with 15 mayoral candidates, 58 council candidates, and dozens more vying for park board and school trustee positions. And on this vote. Thanksgiving weekend, a week out from the vote, I think most voters are just trying to make sense of this. They may have decided who they want to support as mayor, 
But now they're trying to figure out how to vote for 10 councillors. From crime to climate change, residents have many concerns. But housing affordability seems to be top of mind. I've heard from all the candidates pretty much on housing. I think they need to be a little bit clearer in terms of what their actual plan is and how it's going to affect people on the ground. We're always hearing about housing. We're not getting good solutions on housing. Support for the city's most vulnerable, also a priority. It's not the downtown east side problem. I think it's a systemic problem and we have a lot of work to do on a very foundational level. No one wants to address it in a way that actually makes sense and spend the money where it needs to be spent. In Surrey, the issues are similar to other big cities, housing, taxes, gang violence, but it's often overshadowed by the incumbent mayor. Doug McCallum faces a criminal charge of mischief stemming from a run-in with a resident advocating to keep the RCMP in the city. I think in many respects in Surrey, um, it's a referendum on Doug McCallum first and foremost. Despite the problems directly affecting cities and their residents, getting people to vote is always a challenge. In the 2018 municipal election, voter turnout in Vancouver was just 39%. In Surrey, it was 33%. Given the, the confusion with the number of parties and candidates, um, some people might, not, might just not be able to make sense of it all and give up. But change begins with a vote. Travis Prasad, Global News. And the city of Vancouver says thousands of eligible voters have already cast ballots in the first two days of advanced voting. On Saturday, October 1st, more than 7,300 people voted. And on Wednesday, October 5th, 10,500 voters marked their ballots. So far, more than 9,600 vote-by-mail packages have been issued. After today's advanced voting, Vancouver voters also have until this coming Tuesday and Thursday to cast an early ballot. And of course, there is still Election Day itself on October 15th. Turning now to drama in provincial politics as the B.C. Green Party has rejected a request from the NDP to have a third-party review of both parties' membership lists. The New Democrats made the formal request after concerns people were leaving the Greens and joining the NDP to vote in their leadership race, something the party describes as, quote, fraudulent. The contentious race has climate activist Anjali Apadurai wanting to challenge former Attorney General David Eby to be party leader. In its letter, the Green Party says it has a legal and ethical obligation to to its members and their personal information. It says its privacy policy does not allow that information to be disclosed to third parties except in limited circumstances and this request does not meet that criteria. The party also insists that not many members have actually left. Members aren't leaving in droves. They seem to be making a mountain out of a molehill. Um, we've had a total of, as of yesterday, 88 people cancel their memberships so that they can go on to become an NDP member and support the Epidurai campaign. We're not talking about thousands of people. Our membership doesn't even go beyond about 3,700. It's not enough to even make a difference in their leadership contest. So again, from a numbers perspective, it's just ridiculous. In response, the New Democrats say they're disappointed the Greens have rejected the request and that party continues to receive information alleging Green Party members are being permitted to pause their membership to participate in the race. They add it won't reflect well on the Greens if a significant portion of its membership is attempting a, quote, 
hostile takeover. Okay, Keith Baldry joins us now in studio with more on this. Keith, what is really going on here right now for us? Well, that phrase you just uh, mentioned, hostile takeover, that's what the NDP feels is going on here. They think the leadership race to replace uh, John Horgan as premier and leader of the NDP has ignited a hostile takeover bid from members of the environmental protest movement, not just the BC Green Party, but organizations such as the Dogwood Initiative and such. So they say they've come across a number of memberships they find very suspect, hence the letter to the Green Party asking for that third party to adjudicate this and sort of look, look and compare the signups that occurred between the day John Horgan announced he was leaving and the cutoff day of September 5th. And not surprisingly, the Green Party said no to the NDP's request. Okay, lots of drama, surely more to come. What's the next shoe to drop? Well, a couple of things. I think this letter was designed with the expectation the Greens would indeed say no to this, allowing or giving the NDP the excuse, at least externally, to uh, disqualify a number of the memberships that have come in signed up by the Upper Day uh, camp during the leadership campaign. They, again, a concern that she could come in as an outsider, take over the leadership at a time when she basically opposes all the party's positions. She is yet to be through the vetting process. She's not an official candidate yet. We expect to get word this week whether she actually crosses that bar. I'd be surprised if she actually is going to be a, a qualified candidate or whether her memberships will stand the test of scrutiny. I think the NDP is looking for a way to ensure David Eby becomes the next leader and premier of BC. Okay, sure to be interesting. We'll wait and see. Keith Baldry, thank you. We'll see you right back here at the desk next weekend for election day. The family of an Ontario woman reported missing in the interior one week ago is joining the search for their daughter. 22-year-old Jacqueline McDermott, who also goes by Jackie, went to a meditation retreat near Merritt last Friday. But her parents say she left shortly after it started and has not been seen since. Her van was found broken down the next day along Highway 97C between Merritt and Logan Lake. This weekend, Jackie's family is joining Mounties and search and rescue crews as they scour the Mammoth Lake area for any clues in her disappearance. It's been uh, uh, horrific, is all I will say. Everybody loves her. Like She's got tree-planting friends who have come down to, to help. She's got skateboarding friends who, you know, she's got animal activist friends. She's got, she's got such a community, and she has so many people that care about her, and, you know, nobody, nobody can quite understand what's happened here. McDermott is five foot seven with a thin build, curly blonde hair, and a nose piercing. If you know where she is or if you think you might have seen her, call Merritt RCMP. And Princeton RCMP are asking for your help in finding a missing man who has not been seen in more than a week. 61-year-old David Horsfall was reported missing on October 1st by a neighbor. He hasn't been seen or heard from since September 28th. RCMP say Horsfall was last spotted walking in Princeton with plastic jugs and a car tire. It's believed he was headed towards Highway 3. And RCMP are also making an appeal to find a missing 70-year-old man who was last seen near Burns Lake on Friday. Arland Weam may have been hitchhiking and could have been picked up by the driver of an unknown vehicle. He was last believed to be between Vanderhoof and Prince George based on the location of his cell phone. Weam's friends and family say it's out of character for him to be out of contact for so long. If you spot him, call Burns Lake RCMP. Roads have finally reopened in Richmond hours after a huge fire broke out today. A large plume of smoke was seen in the number five and Williams Road area late this morning. And soon after, RCMP closed off the surrounding streets to traffic to help fire crews put out the flames. No word yet on the exact nature of the fire or if there were any injuries. 
Some Surrey residents are lucky to have escaped without injury and without serious damage to their home after a vehicle wound up almost right on their doorstep last night. It happened at the corner of 149A Street and 94th Avenue. RCMP say it appears the vehicle was traveling down the street when the driver lost control and went off the road into the yard. Speed or driver error may have been a contributing factor. According to police, the car didn't actually hit the house, but it came far too close for comfort. The good news is nobody was injured. Drivers traveling to and from Alberta this long weekend have one more route to choose from. The Kicking Horse Canyon between Banff and Golden has been closed periodically for months as crews work to upgrade that section of the Trans-Canada Highway. But this long weekend, the highway is open for Thanksgiving travelers. The route will stay open until noon on Tuesday, but will close once again after that until December 1st. Another recent incident of vandalism at the Komagatamaru Memorial in Vancouver prompted a rally today to call out those who are targeting the meaningful monument. As Paul Johnson reports, it's been hit twice by vandals in just over a year. A ship by the name of Komagatamaru that arrived here in May 1914. Uh, the ship was here in this harbour uh, and it docked here and the passengers were not allowed to, to come out of the ship. Few would dispute that the story of the Komagata Maru is one of the darker chapters in Vancouver's history. More than 350 people from India refused entry to Canada because of their race. The permanent memorial at Coal Harbour is meant to recognize that injustice. We can see here there's more damage here. Police already uh, did a uh, tap, it, uh, tap it here. But more than 100 years later, it appears intolerance is alive and well. This damage marks the second time in 14 months that the memorial has been vandalized. Someone smashed the glass a few days ago. Last summer, they smeared it with white paint. There are some people who are ignorant, who feel that the people who are depicted in the photographs, who wear turbans, don't have the right to be here. It's not only the individual who suffers. It's that community. At Saturday's rally against racism, the fact that the memorial continues to be targeted is proof of its necessity and of keeping the story alive. More broadly, uh, we want to express our opposition and concern about hatred. Uh, hate in Canada, online, offline. South Asians and East Asians have been particularly targeted by racist attacks recently, including violent attacks on the streets of Vancouver. Sid Schneid is with Independent Jewish Voices Canada. We feel it's necessary to come and express our concerns about this and our solidarity with the members of the community. While Vancouver police arrested and charged one person for last summer's vandalism, the latest damage remains under investigation, with no suspects or motive identified by police. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Deadly protests continued across Iran today as demonstrators call for regime change. And here in B.C., Canadians held another rally in solidarity with the uprising. A large crowd once again gathered at Vancouver's Art Gallery this afternoon. There is no let-up in the condemnation of the Iranian regime after Iranian authorities released an alleged coroner's report claiming that Masa Amini died from organ failure, not blows to her body. Demonstrators today don't buy that and say they are standing up for the rights of all Iranian women. 
They have not had control. They haven't had power for 43 years. 43 years of oppression of these, this Islamic Republic taking control and power and using their ego to um, neglect women's rights and human rights and at this point the entire youth of Iran. I lived in Iran so many years of my life. I walked those streets and I know what people are saying. Um, this regime needs to be changed. Um, there's no democracy. Women should have the freedom to choose what they wear. And uh, we're women, we have hair, get used to it. Protesters at today's rally in Vancouver are vowing to continue their demonstrations to help raise awareness of what is happening in Iran. The rage against the regime growing after learning that another 16-year-old girl reportedly beaten to death by the country's security forces allegedly over how her hijab was worn as demonstrations enter week four. The unprovoked war in Ukraine has escalated considerably this weekend as Ukrainian troops make an explosive advance. A suspected truck bomb explosion caused the partial collapse of a bridge linking the Crimean Peninsula with Russia, damaging a key supply route for Putin's troops. Three people were killed. Russia is blaming Ukraine for the bombing, and while many Ukrainians are celebrating the attack, officials have stopped short of taking credit. Jennifer Johnson reports. Ukrainian officials have repeatedly threatened to strike the much-hated bridge to cut off one of Russia's major supply arteries into their country. But Ukraine has not claimed responsibility for the bombing. Some Russian lawmakers are calling on President Vladimir Putin to retaliate as Ukrainian forces continue to reclaim territory once controlled by the Kremlin. The way his military has performed in this war is not indicative of a major superpower. Russia has now named a new military commander to lead its war effort, as some Russian forces are reportedly fleeing battle areas. Military experts say now is the time for world leaders to step up and further aid Ukraine. In the next one to three months, the Americans and all of the NATO allies will continue to provide as much support to the Ukrainians as possible. The intention is to help them retake as much territory as they can. Meanwhile, both sides are trading blame for shelling overnight near Ukraine's Russian-occupied nuclear power plant, the largest in Europe. The plant is now using emergency diesel generators to power cooling and safety functions for as long as 10 days to avoid a potential nuclear disaster. Plant engineers are racing to repair the plant's power line. But Putin's losses are mounting leaving some military experts concerned he may resort to using short-range nuclear weapons to try and win this war. This is all Putin can do now is rattle his nuclear saber. And I think he has to know that if he uses a nuclear weapon, uh, the consequences would be unbearable for him. The top Republican of the U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee is calling on world powers to try and reason with Putin. I think every nation uh, in, in the United Nations needs to warn Putin this will not be tolerated, including the nations that have stayed on the sidelines. But Putin is showing no sign of backing down. And there is growing concern the bombing of the bridge, an embarrassing blow to him, may lead to further aggression against Ukraine. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. In Thailand today, funerals for the victims of a horrific massacre at a child care center took place this morning. Hundreds of people gathered in temples to mark the lives of more than 30 people killed in the massacre, including at least 20 children. Most of the children between two and five years old were slashed to death on Thursday in a gun and knife rampage. The attacker who took his own life after killing his own wife and son was a former police officer facing trial on drug charges. 
In Health Matters tonight, a new study suggests a new trend in new mothers who've been less likely to breastfeed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Researchers at the University of Southern California found there was an 11% drop in the number of parents feeding their babies only breast milk and a 4% drop in breastfeeding altogether. The American Academy of Pediatrics and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control recommend feeding babies only breast milk if possible for the first six months of life for its numerous health benefits. Researchers speculate the pandemic restricts access to breastfeeding training and lactation education, as well as health care exams. The study compared breastfeeding rates at the USC Medical Center Newborn Nursery from January of 2019 to April of 2021. Welcome back. We have some breaking news. Hockey Canada's interim chair has resigned from her position effective immediately this evening. The organization has confirmed that Andrea Skinner submitted her resignation this evening. In a statement, Skinner says it no longer makes sense for her to continue in the position. She assumed the role only two months ago and leaves as uproar grows over Hockey Canada's handling of sexual assault allegations. The organization has been under intense scrutiny since May after allegations of sexual assaults and involving members of the 2003 World Junior Team emerged in July. The Vancouver Canucks have introduced their latest limited edition warm-up jersey to mark this year's upcoming Diwali. Very cool. The team posted video of artist Jazzy B wearing the jersey, which features work designed by artist Sandeep Johal. The five-day festival begins on Monday, October 24th, which is when the Canucks will play the Carolina Hurricanes at home. Diwali is considered to be the festival of lights and is meant to spread a message of friendship, hope, and togetherness. Speaking of togetherness, very good to be together with you again. Together again. Reunited, <laughs> and it feels so I've good. I've missed you for a few weeks. It's been a while. It's been good a while. to see you as always. Good to have you back. Thank you. What's coming up in sports tonight? Well, a uh, little bit of a depressing day in sports mm. if you're a fan of the Lions and the Blue Jays, although maybe Mariner fans obviously are pretty jacked up, but the Blue Jays blew a huge lead in Game 2 of their series, so they are done for the year, so we'll show you that. And the Lions had a slow start, looked like they might win, and then they lost in Toronto, so. I'll be the bearer of oh, a man. lot of bad news when we come back. <laughs> okay, Barry, thank you. We will see you in a few okay. minutes. Persistent dry conditions in Kamloops has the local fire department preemptively banning fireworks this Halloween. Kamloops Fire Rescue says the ban on fireworks is due to the ongoing lack of rain and unusually high temperatures, which has extended the wildfire risk beyond the typical summer fire season. A statement from the deputy fire chief says, quote, we know that fireworks displays are often a part of Halloween celebrations in Kamloops, and we understand this decision may not be a popular one. However, our decisions are made in the best interest of public safety. Those who violate the ban face a $250 fine. From devastating floods to droughts that threaten water supplies, hundreds of millions of people are facing these new ongoing climate threats. As Reggie Cicchini explains, a new study is warning that catastrophic scorching heat events that used to play out once every few centuries are becoming much more frequent. Cracked landscapes under a blistering sun became a trademark image during the summer of 2022 and across much of the Northern Hemisphere, from the U.S. desert to the parched shores of China's Yangtze River, extreme droughts endangered economies and lives. We are already seeing the fingerprints of climate change in the, uh, the drought that we've seen, um, and climate change is already hitting us hard. Science has proven the world is warming, and the new study from the World Weather Attribution Group finds it's resulting in drier land. Scientists determined this by looking at water levels in soil, suggesting human emissions, which are raising the global temperature, 
have resulted in some of the most severe soil moisture droughts on record. The events of the agriculture and ecological droughts in the root zone was made at least 20 times more likely uh, due to human-induced climate change. At its most basic finding, droughts that were once in a 400-year event might now repeat every 20 years. We do have time to influence the trajectory of our climate system. And yet, we know that based on where we are on that trajectory, we really only have about eight years before we start to see some of those negative consequences. Climate change is already ravaging the world. It's not hypothetical. It's not a hypothetical threat. 2022's droughts would be an issue on their own, but factored in with the global food and energy crisis caused by the war in Ukraine, the situation was only exacerbated. I like to think of climate change as a threat multiplier. So whatever kinds of threats we're facing as a planet, as a nation, as a family, climate change is going to ramp those up. The study's authors do acknowledge that climate change can't be blamed for everything. Sometimes solutions themselves pose problems. Take flood mitigation that sends water out to sea rather than tanks to offset drought. There are going to be constraints and limits to adaptation that we'll face dealing with these complexities going forward. Complexities that scientists fear could result in perpetual or even permanent droughts if action isn't taken. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Welcome back. Barry DeLay is here now, the bearer of bad news yeah, of the Canadian sports world Yeah, today. sports mm -hmm. is about wins and losses, mm -hmm. and it was heavy on the L's today, unfortunately. All right, thanks, Sarah. The, uh, well, the mark of any really good player is consistency, and Nathan Rourke was brilliantly consistent in the first half of the Alliance season before his serious injury. Vernon Adams Jr. has been on a uh, one good, one bad pattern. He was good last week versus Ottawa. Today on the road in Toronto, Adams was hoping to break the pattern. Lions beat the Argos 44-3 in week three when uh, Nathan played at BC Place. Lions offense, though, really struggled early in this one. And the defense made crucial mistakes. They jumped offside a couple of times on this drive, including once on third and goal. Gave Toronto a first down, snuck it in for a touchdown, built up a 13-0 lead. Finally, late first half, Vernon Adams gets the offense going. Going for it and a fantastic leaping catch by Alexander Hollins, who's in for the injured Lucky Whitehead. That's a good way to make a first impression in your CFL debut. 13-7 Argos at the half. And in the second half, the Lions came out and made some big plays. Ben Halatic with the strip on McLeod Bethel Thompson. Jordan Williams scoops it up and returns it into Argo territory. He's also stripped of the football, but luckily for the Lions, they recover the ball. And then on the very next play, Adams to Keon Hatcher who is wide open, and then Hatcher with a couple of great moves, cuts it back to the inside, bowls his way in for the touchdown. What determination. Hatcher needs to step up with Whitehead and Brian Burnham out, and he does with that superb effort. 17-16, Lions with their first lead, and they kept moving the ball. Adams with great protection keeps this play alive, and then will zip it to Javon Katoy, who juggles it, but that makes a great catch. Led to a field goal, and the Lions led 20-16 late in the fourth. But with under three minutes to go, Bethel Thompson going deep, and Cameron Phillips gets behind the secondary. Calls it in for the touchdown. Ryan Phillips, the Lions defensive coordinator, is not amused. 23-20 Argos. Lions with a chance to tie it. Sean White from 41 yards out. Usually the veteran is money, but this one goes up wobbly and hits the upright. And the Lions wobble and fall 23-20 to the Argos. They drop to 10-5, a game they feel really got away on them. It was a game at halftime, and um, 
we bounced back in the second half, but there's too too many penalties, too too much going backwards, uh, and it makes it hard when you get in the first and 20 or those situations on offense, which didn't help the cause. I just got to start faster, start faster for this team, help this defense out. Man, our defense is freaking amazing, man. Um, our special teams is amazing. Sean White is amazing, man. I just, I got to be better early on, give us a chance and not even make the game that close. Also tonight, Elks and Bombers from Winnipeg. A Bombers win locks up first in the West, already up big in the second quarter. Zach Kalaros with his third touchdown pass of the game. This one to Dalton Schoen, who has three TDs of his own in this one. 45-11 is the score now in the fourth. Winnipeg on their way to clinching first. Edmonton will be eliminated from the playoffs with the loss. Also in Toronto today, slightly more fans than at the Argos game. Blue Jays season on the line after win game two versus the Mariners or they're done. Facing former teammate Robbie Ray, Teoscar Hernandez welcomes Ray back to Toronto with this two-run shot in the second. Finally, something for the Rogers Centre crowd to cheer about. The building literally shaking. 2-0 Jays, the start they desperately needed. They also needed Vladdy Guerrero Jr. to do his part, and he does in the third. Clutch two-out base hit scores Santiago Espinal, making his first start in a few weeks after being out with injury. 3-0 Jays. And in the fourth, Hernandez does it again. Second time that he's going yard. This one a bomb to dead center. Solo shot 4 nothing. And that chases Robbie Ray from the ball game. The Jays looking in real good shape, and they keep piling on. This pitch will sail over the head of catcher Cal Raleigh. Espinal races home, and the Jays would build up an 8-1 to one lead. This one's in the bag. Or is it? Tim Mesa, usually pretty good. That Jays bullpen hasn't been bad, but they were not good today. He serves it up to Carlos Santana, a three-run shot. The Mariners never quit, that's for sure. It's 8-5, but the Jays settle things down and get some insurance in the seventh. Danny Jansen with his third hit of the game brings in a run, and it's 9-5. But those M's won't quit, and they also got a little bit of good luck. Jordan Romano in after a couple of strikeouts. Base is loaded, but this pop flare from J.P. Crawford has eyes. And oh, that's a violent collision between Bo Bichette and George Springer. All three runs come across and the outfield littered with Blue Jay players. George has to come out of the game. That 8-1 lead now gone. It's 9-9. Top of the ninth, Romano with two out. But Adam Fraser pulls a double down the right field line. That scores a go-ahead run. And amazingly, the Mariners lead 10-9. They were down 8-1. Jays down to their final at bat. Bottom of the ninth. Need a run to extend their season. Raymond Tapia will line it to center, but it's caught, and the Mariners are moving on. Time to cheer for Seattle. Shocking the Jays today. Seattle will meet Houston in the ALDS starting Tuesday. Jays in shock. Meanwhile, an epic game in Cleveland. Guardians and Rays scoreless into the 15th. But Oscar Gonzalez not only wins the game with one swing, he wins the series for the Guardians. A dramatic walk-off homer against Corey Kluber, who played nine seasons in Cleveland. one nothing the final. Guardians will play the Yankees in the American League Divisional Series. The Canucks made a deal that not only helped their defensive depth with current injuries to Tyler Myers and Travis Dermott, but it also helped save them $1.3 million in salary cap room. Patrick Alvin sent underperforming forward Jason Dickinson to the Blackhawks for defenseman Riley Stillman. He's the son of former NHLer Corey Stillman and a guy who can add some depth and toughness to the blue line. Riley Stillman, uh, 24 years old, left shot defenseman, um, started in Florida. Um, we see him as a third pairing defenseman, uh, character guy, uh, hard to play against, um, help us uh, with our depth there.
Last night, Canucks played their preseason finale against Arizona at Rogers Arena. The power play has looked very good so far in the preseason. Bo Horvat will tip home the Oliver Ekman Larson shot. Canucks led it 2 0 after one in the second period. They'll get another. Elias Pettersson, that wrist is healthy. He can shoot and score. He's had a great preseason, of course. Last year, he came off the wrist injury and it really took a while to get going, but he looks good. 3 0 Canucks and his new line mate, Andre Kuzmenko. Coming out of the penalty box, scores on the breakaway. He's been very impressive as well. 4-0 the final, 2-3-2 their record in the exhibition. But it counts for real. Next Wednesday in Edmonton, they open their regular season against the Oilers. Canadian soccer star Alfonso Davies suffered a concussion today in his Bundesliga match with the Bayern Munich. Davies was kicked in the face when he went to head the ball. He did not return to the game. Canada plays its first World Cup match in Qatar on November 23rd against Belgium. That is just 46 days away. Hopefully Davies will be healthy enough to play. They certainly need him. The Whitecaps have a simple mission tomorrow in Minnesota. Win the game, get into the playoffs. It's been nothing short of a miracle. They are even in this position, but Vancouver has reeled off three impressive must-wins, while the Loons, Minnesota's team, has been downright horrible. They have one draw and five losses in their last six, which has really kept Vancouver's slim playoff chances alive. But if you think the Whitecaps are overconfident, don't go there. Their run of form, you know, isn't, isn't great. But ours wasn't, you know, a couple of months ago. Nobody thought we would be in this position now, you know, and, and so you still got to, you know, be prepared for their best. And I think they're going to bring it. Obviously, it's going to be a tough environment in their stadium um, and, and, and the home game for them. But, yeah, it's going to be a tough match, a tough game. And no matter kind of we won three, they haven't won. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, this is a one-time game final, you know, for them, for us. And that's what it's going to be like. And that is a 2 o'clock start tomorrow. Premier League, Erling Holland and City at home to Southampton. Holland, the only player to start the season in league history by recording three consecutive hat-tricks at home. City in control start to finish. Phil Foden scores there to make it 2-0 at the half. And then in the 65th, guess who scores again? It's the big Norwegian, Erling Holland. Has 20th goal in all competitions, and that's his 15th in just nine EPL matches as Man City wins it fairly handily. 4-0 the final over Southampton. Third round of the Shriners Children's Open from fabulous Las Vegas. Is there a better place to make an ace than Vegas? Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin on the tee at the 151-yard par 3 14th, and this is one he will remember. It's a hole-in-one for Adam Hadwin, part of a 665. He's tied for 7th at 14-under. Surrey's Adam Spenson is tied 32nd at minus 9. Hadwin just one of nine players on the PGA Tour to ever shoot 59. Patrick Cantley trying to become the 10th, sinks this birdie at 17 to get to 11 under for the day, but he just falls short. Uh, actually, a 10 under at that point. 10 under 61, or no, it is 11 under 60. He's tied for the lead with Tom Kim at minus 19, five better than Hadwin. All right, tennis from Tokyo. Semifinals, Canada's Denis Shapovalov taking on American Taylor Fritz. They both decided to wear the same jerseys for a while anyway. I guess Fritz did change in the second. Won the opening set, but Dennis fights back. Second set tie break. Nice little volley at net, so we need a deciding set. They were on serve in the eighth game, but Fritz, great return, and then an even better lob for the winner and the break. And he goes on to win the third set, 6-3. So Shapovalov's run in Tokyo is over. Fritz will meet fellow American Francis Tiafa in the final. That's a lot of sports. Even, one of them even our tennis change. player, yeah, one of them had to change. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Well, we all know how important learning CPR can be when it comes to saving lives. And a North Vancouver family is further proof of how truly critical having that skill can be with the life of a loved one. 
to show for it. Here's Krista now. It is a skill Sierra Edstrand had only recently learned. The 15-year-old teen had signed up to learn CPR on a whim, never actually believing she'd have to apply it. I did a lifeguard camp a couple of years ago, but kind of as a joke, honestly. Like, I never thought I'd use this training. Critical training that proved to be life-changing for the Edstrand family. It was June of last year when Sierra found her then four-year-old brother Gunner, or GJ, face down in the family pool. Unresponsive. His head's under the water. He's purple. Like his lips are blue, like his eyes are closed. So I'm like, holy, holy crap, he's like dead. Sierra immediately sprung into action, pulling her brother from the pool and then performing CPR. After calling 911, Jessica, their mother, took over the CPR until paramedics arrived. I'm not gonna lie, that was like the scariest moment of my life. I was just doing CPR and mouth to mouth, and she just like kind of took him from me and sat him up and started slapping his back. I remember seeing my son on the floor, not responding. I, I just said, God, please help me. I remember screaming out loud, please don't take him, not right now, not like this. And I think the mama bear came out that, in that moment when I scream and say, DJ, you're not going anywhere. Gunner eventually came to, vomiting out fluids and began breathing. The North Vancouver mother-daughter duo being honoured with the Vital Link Award for their heroic efforts. The fact that they have both had training is incredibly valuable, but not only having the training, having the bravery to actually step up to the mark when it was required and to be able to phone 911 while still doing CPR um, between them, and that's what inevitably saved GJ's life. The family hope others never have to go through what they did, but says it serves as a reminder to know CPR just in case. It really came in handy, like I saved my brother's life. And if it weren't for that lifeguarding course, I don't think he'd be here today. Krista Dow, Global News. Great reminder, what an amazing family and what an adorable little boy as well. Uh, Christy, quick look at weather before we go tonight. Yeah, we showed the seven-day mm -hmm. forecast earlier that had a number 29 in there. Don't uh, don't think we're actually going to see the 29. <laughs> 19 is what we're headed for as we head into next week. Uh, temperatures are certainly going to be a little cooler than what we've seen, but we're still looking at well above seasonal values right through the next week. Uh, just a little dip with that cloud cover on our holiday Monday. Bad timing, unfortunately, for holiday. Okay, Christy, thank you. That's all for us tonight. Thanks for being with us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.